Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, bless Love the Lord. Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. This is a day that the Lord has made, and I am rejoicing and I'm glad in it. This is Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and tonight we once again come to you with the Word on Wednesday. And our prayer tonight is that you would be blessed, that you are extremely blessed with this teaching. This is one that um, those of you who had difficulties uh, hearing last week, um, I'm doing the same lesson that I did last week over again. And it's not because I'm lazy or anything like that. Nothing could be farther from the truth. But instead, I felt that this was such an important lesson, and we had technical difficulties last week. There were so many people, uh, so many uh, people that were out there that were trying to get this lesson, and my phone blew up on me. It would get real hot and cut off, and then I try to cut it back on, and it cut off again. I haven't figured out what was wrong with it, and so I had to do some things differently this week. But, but we're going to repeat last week's lesson, and the title of last week's lesson was God's response. God's response to our mess ups. What does God do? When we mess up. And the lesson is in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we'll be going through it. Before we go through it, first of all, let's have a word of prayer. And I really, really ask that you would pray with me and for me uh, as we uh, go through this lesson. I further ask that you would have your Bibles at the ready, that you would open up your hearts, and that you would receive the word of the Lord. And I'm praying, my, my prayer tonight that I'm asking you to enjoy me in is that God would minister to you, that God would speak to your spirit, that God would begin to, and that you would begin to say yes to him. If it's, a, if it's conviction or confrontation, that you would say yes to him, that you would begin to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do it, and believe God. I just, I just so want you to have fellowship with God through his word tonight. So let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. We come with our hearts bowed to you tonight. We come, O oh God, searching, searching through your word for you tonight. We need to hear from you tonight. We need you to speak to us collectively and individually tonight. Oh, God, let your spirit reign and abide tonight in this Bible study. Father, in Jesus' name, I would pray that no words would come out of my mouth that are not from you. God, bring healing tonight. 
bring healing to the, the, the inner man, the innermost parts of our lives tonight. Father, you, it says your word is like a two-edged sword, that it will cut and it will get through, it will cut through bone, it will cut through marrow. Father, in the spiritual surgery that we need to, to, to be healthy and whole, we ask that you would perform it tonight, God. Oh, have your way. Have your way in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. We ask, oh, Father, that you would sanctify the airways tonight, that you would rebuke the enemy that messes with the telephone lines, that messes with our Internet connections, that messes with our computers and our tablets and, and, and even my voice and memory and, and all of the things that you utilize to minister to your people. We ask that you would sanctify them wholly tonight, that, that you would build a hedge of protection around them tonight, that nothing could interfere with the delivery of your word. We ask that you go into every household that's on that's on this uh, on this on on this in this Bible study tonight. We ask that you would bring peace into those households. We ask that you would build a hedge around every individual straining to hear your word. That children would be calm. That husbands and wives would be quiet together. That that every obstacle that that comes into their way, that hinders them from receiving the word of the Lord, would be rebuked, that you would stand guard over them as they receive your word tonight. Oh, God, how we need you. Oh, God, how we bless you. Oh, God, how we can't do anything without you. Now, be our preacher and our teacher tonight. Be our doctor. Heal us, O oh Lord. Bring peace. Speak shalom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, normally uh, tonight I'm going to do, and hey, Demita, how you doing? Normally, tonight, you know, uh, one of the things that we do is we share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we share the gospel, the good news of Christ. And what's the good news? Your sins have been forgiven. Now, that's good news. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, hold on, hold on, hold on. How can you say, Pastor, that sins have been forgiven? Simple, because when Jesus went to Calvary, he paid your sin penalty. And in paying your sin penalty, you no longer owe. It's paid for. So what do you have to do? All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus paid for my sins, and Jesus is the Son of God. He paid for my sins, and ask him into your life, and you're saved, and you receive the gift of God, which is the eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's it right there. And then what do you do after you make that confession? Well, you find another Christian, you you find a church, you find a pastor, and you go to them and you say, look, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to come into my heart, and he has come into my heart by faith, and I'm saved. Now what do I do? And you get with them, and they're going to teach you. 
they're going to show you the way of salvation completely and perfectly in a way that I can't do it without sitting down with you one-on-one. They'll get you into your Bible and they'll get you established, and you then can begin to learn how to walk upright before God. That's what this is all about. Hallelujah. Okay, so if you did that, I got a new brother, I got a new sister. Amen? Amen. Now, let's get into the Word. Turn in your Bibles tonight to 2 Samuel chapter uh, 12. Now, if you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that's the chapter that everybody knows. That's David and Bathsheba, where David comes and, and he's one day he should, he's someplace where he got no business being. He should have been out fighting, but he stayed at home and maybe he it, it, maybe he was doing the, handling the affairs of the state. We don't know what he was doing, but we do know that everybody else was out fighting and David stayed home. And David's house is up on this high hill and he can overlook all of Jerusalem. And one evening when he comes out uh, after uh, from one evening when he comes out from from taking a nap. It's exactly what he was doing. He was taking a nap. One evening he comes out and he looks down and he sees fine, fine, fine. He sees a woman and she catches his eye. Only problem is, is that this woman belongs to somebody. This woman, Bathsheba, is Uriah's wife. David inquires to find out who she is. Not only is, and you have to understand who Uriah was. Uriah was one of his boys. Bathsheba was the daughter of one of his boys. And it's not just any boys, but Bathsheba's daddy and Uriah are counted amongst the 30. These are 30 men who had done great exploits for Israel, who had walked with David, fought the Philistines, fought every enemy side by side. And then David goes and takes his wife. When she winds up pregnant, David, David gets involved in the cover-up, calls the guy home and says, hey, man, because he's out fighting like he's supposed to. Calls the guy home, guy comes home, says, what do you need? How the battle going, how the battle going, Uriah? Battle's going all right. Well, I just wanted to know that. He, he says, go home and, you know, check out your wife. Because what he's trying to do is he's trying to cover his mess up. Uriah says, no, I can't go home like that. Everybody else out fighting, I'm supposed to be out fighting. And how I look like I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go home to my wife where everybody else out fighting. What was important about this is that Uriah has consecrated himself unto the Lord. And when he consecrates himself, when you go to battle, the soldiers would consecrate themselves to the Lord, and they would not go into their wives. And so David goes, and he, 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 and he says, well, this guy ain't going home. So he calls him back the next day. He says, stay here with me a little while longer. Calls him back the next day, gets him drunk. Uriah, instead of getting drunk and going home, he says, no. He goes and lays down. In the court, yeah. So David said, oh, this, I can't do this dude like I want to. He won't go to his wife, so I got to kill him. So he sends him back to the battlefield with a note telling Joab, put him in the front where the fighting is the worst. And then what I want you to do when you put him in the front where the fighting is the worst, then I want you to pull back and let him kill him. And sure enough, 
it happens. Uriah is killed. And David thinks that he's gotten away with it. She goes through a period of mourning. After a period of mourning, then David thinks he's gotten away with it. David says, oh, poor thing, and Uriah was my boy. I'm just going to take her into my house, and I'm going you know, to marry her, make her one of my wives. You know, i got to do this for my boy. i gotta, I got I to gotta look out for my boy. That's literally what he's saying. But what he's doing is he's covering it up, and he thinks he's gotten away with it. And that's where we want to pick up this week. Because in the last line of verse 26 in chapter 11, listen how chapter 11 ends. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. See, David had pulled the wool, he thinks, over everybody else. But he is not cognizant of the fact that God sits high and looks low. And God saw what he did. And not only did he see what he did, but it had got, it pissed him off. It made God mad. This word, displeased, this word, this, this, whole, this, whole, this whole thing, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. What God saw was God didn't just look and see the outward manifestations of, of, David, of what David had done, but he looked at David's heart. <clears throat> he looked at David's heart, and he saw his inner attitude. He looked at David's insight. He searched within, and he saw that within the heart of David was evil. And it was not just evil, but it was intentional evil. His plan was one, the evil was one where he could plan and deliberately hurt someone. And that's evil right there. That Not only had David uh, uh, murdered Uriah, but David was guilty of first degree murder. That's murder with intent. That's willful intent. I didn't accidentally do it. And in Israel, under the law, under the law, when somebody willfully murdered somebody, willfully killed them, it wasn't an accident, the law said that they themselves should be killed. And so David is traveling under the sentence of death, and he doesn't even know it. What happened? I'm going to start reading at 12.1 right now. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. 
David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. Remember that when we began tonight, our Primacy, what we, what we are discussing is, what does God do when we mess up? And here's a fine example of what God does when his children mess up. You've got to remember now, even though David has, has done just a hideous crime, David is still God's king. David with his wickedness that with wickedness in his heart is still considered a man after God's own heart. When you belong to God, when you have given your life to Christ, and God says, You are my son, you are my daughter, and you mess up, the first thing that God does is he confronts you and your sin. He don't let you walk around there thinking that you're getting away with something. He will confront your sin. He confronts you in a variety of ways. This time, God sent the prophet to the prophet Nathan to David to let David know, David, boy, you thought you got away, but you caught. God knows what you did, and your own mouth, your own mouth has shown that you know that what you did was wrong. What you did was wrong, and you know better. So the first thing that we want to know is that, 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 that you need to understand is that God will confront you and your sin. The second thing that he does is he reminds you. He reminds you of the relationship and the benefits that you have received in your walk with him. Watch this. Okay, I'm at, I'm at verse 7, when, and I'm at the B portion of verse 7. Oh, I'll start, at, I'll start at just the A portion. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? The, first, the, the thing after confrontation comes God rehearsing into you who he is in your life. He reminds you where he found you. He reminds you of what he's given you. He reminds you of his deliverance. He reminds you of his divine protection. He basically says, look, 
God done brought you through. When Saul was chasing you all over the place, you didn't get away from Saul. I kept Saul off of you. When, when, when you went out to fight the battles with the Philistines, you didn't get the victory. You didn't win those battles. I won those battles for you. I've given you everything and anything you wanted. You see, David didn't have no reason. He had no reason whatsoever to go after Bathsheba like he did. What we discussed a couple of weeks ago is the, the thing that was in his heart, the evil that God identified in his heart was lust. It was just sin that would just been lurking in his heart. David had no reason to mess with Uriah's women because David had a house full of women of his own. If David, uh, as they say, uh, had one of them days where he just wanted to run and get busy, he had four wives that we know about. That we, Mikael, Abigail, Ahinoam, and then the, the fourth I can't call right off the top of my head, but it was four of them. That's not to count his concubines, because the king had a, had concubines. So here David is with a house full of women. Uriah got this one little woman, just one. He just got one woman, and David gonna go and go and go ahead and take her. Ain't that wrong? We know that was wrong. So God says, "Look, David, I've been good to you." And then after he confronts him, he says, why did you despise the Lord? Now David's on trial. David's on trial right now because God has called him into the court, his own court, and he has put David on trial, and he is not only presenting himself to David, but now he's presenting the evidence, the evidence and the thing that he don't that, that David didn't even think he knew about. Look, he says, he says, I'm at verse nine. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite, with the sword, and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. There's the charges that he lays down right before him. He presents the charges. He charges him. So first, he confronts. Second, he reminds. Third, he charges. Now watch this. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Now he goes from charging to convicting. He convinces him of his sin after he charges him of his sin, and then he pronounces conviction. David, you're guilty. Guilty as charged, he says to David. Mm -hmm. And then he begins, after he uh, um, convicts him and pronounces him guilty, then he lays down the sentence. 
Look at this. He says, Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. He is allowing David's words. He's allowing David's words to come to pass. What do you mean he's allowing his words to come to pass? Uh, uh, David didn't say anything about a sword. Yes, he did in chapter 11. Look, verse 25. Verse 25. Remember, he's killed killed Uriah now, right? He killed him. And uh, the word comes back to David that Uriah has been killed. In In chapter 11, verse 25, look what happens. He says, David told the messengers, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. This is David talking. The sword devours one as well as another. You missed that, didn't you? David, who thinks that he has gotten away with it, pronounces sentence on himself prophetically and doesn't even know it. He says, the sword devours one as well as another. And David said, and God says, yes, it does. And guess what? It's getting ready to get on you. We're getting ready to light your butt up now. He says, now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me, took the wife of your your own. This is what the Lord says. Listen to this sentence. I mean, that was just part one of the sentence. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wife Okay, they're trying to reconnect. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're back. Sorry about that. You see, that's why I asked you guys to pray earlier because I know when any time we get to a point in, in, in teaching the word that Satan tries to get busy and he tries to just cut everything off. Now, last week it was uh, the Facebook Live. This week it's Blog Talk that's doing it. Don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to press through. So, as I was saying, so now he has he has taken him from actual conviction to the sentencing. But listen to this. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the turning point. This is the turning point right here. Because literally, David is under the sentence of death. There's a curse now that God has placed upon his house. There's a curse that has been released on the household of David. Watch me now. Because remember uh, what we said. What does God do when we mess up? What is his response? And what have we said? He confronts. He reminds us of how good he's been to us. Then he drags us, it literally drags us into court. And we un, he, he, he proves his case against us. And then after proving that we have done what he said we've done, then he convicts us and now he sentences us. And this is all done because David is a covenant king. There is a covenant relationship that is between God and David. And the covenant 
required that David die. The covenant required that David pay a penalty for what he has done. He opened the door to the devil, and now all that the devil has to give is walking in. But now I'm going to bring this to a head real quick because I know y'all saying, oh, God, is that the way God responds to us? Hang on. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. That's the turning point. What do you mean that's the turning point? Remember Saul, when God sent Saul with specific instructions to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and Saul decided to, that he wasn't going to destroy them Amalekites because of the, he was going to keep the king, and he was going to keep all that good stuff that he was taking, and God had told him to don't take none of that stuff, burn it up, kill them all and burn it up. I want them wiped off the earth. Remember that? And God, again, confronts the sin of Saul by sending Samuel the prophet. When Samuel comes and he tells, he tells Saul, Saul, what are you doing? What does Saul say? I did what the Lord told me to do. And then he said, well, if you did what the Lord told you to do, what is this bleeding of sheep? What is this I hear? What is this I say? And then he, and, because, and Saul is not interested in what the Lord wants. Saul was interested in doing things his own way, and so rather than do what David now does, and that's confess that he's sinned, Saul says, wait a minute, hold on. Samuel, I mean, I know that, that, that Saul that God made and he didn't really take the kingdom because, because Samuel tells him the kingdom is being taken from you and given to another. But what does he say? He doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't confess. What does he say? He said, well, come on, you know, come have dinner with me and make me look good in front of the men. He's more concerned about how he looks and his own fleshly desires than he is about offending God. David, on the other hand, stops and says, oh, not only am I caught, but I've sinned before God. What does confession mean? He says the same as God. He says, God, I messed up. I did this thing. I'm wrong. What, how does God respond to him? He says, Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. When we mess up, when we mess up, not under the law, but under our new covenant, God still confronts us. God still reminds us of what we've done wrong. He still, okay, he still shows how he's been good to us. He still pulls us in the court. He still convicts us. Yeah, that feeling that you feel when you are, uh, 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 know you did something and trying to hide it, that's conviction. That is conviction. And who's convicting you? The Holy Ghost is convicting you. And he convicts you by the word. And some folk are walking around right now under conviction, feeling all bad, going to church every Sunday and just crying and just, oh, and, 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 and trying to hide they mess from God. 
How can you hide something from God? Huh? He knew what you did before you did it. Before you were a gleam in your daddy's eye, God knew that on, on certain things you were going to mess up. And just like God atones, you don't see that word in the NIV, but he atones, he provides a sacrifice for sin, okay? He provided a sacrifice for David's sins so David wouldn't have to die. He says, I've atoned for your sin. You will not die. God himself, you don't see any record of David going and, and going with a ram or going with a goat or anything into the temple and saying, oh, I'm, I'm, this, this goat or this lamb, it represents my sin. No, God did it for him. And just like God atoned for David's sin, God atones for our sin. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross once and for all, for all of our mess up. God's response to our sin is atonement. God's response to our sin is, I'm paying for it. Yeah. But it requires agreement. It requires confession. Mm-hmm. But then there's another, but I got another, but there's something else that you got to know. There's something else that you have to know. You don't just walk away. Mm -mm. A lot of people sin against God, and they feel like, okay, um, I'm looking for my notes, Galatians, I believe it is. They sin against the Lord, and... They, they go and they confess, and they walk away, and they say, okay, I've done, I, I did something wrong, and I know that Jesus died for my sins, and I know that um, he, uh, that he I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to um, find a, um, a passage real quick. Um, and I know that he, he died for my sins, and I'm under grace. And you feel like you got away with it. Mm -mm. Not so. Not so. Uh, let me see if I can find the passage that I want. There it is. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. Deals with our sin. God deals with our sin through Jesus Christ. But it says this, and, and I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to show you real meaning. So you understand it. And so you understand why Paul over in, uh, over in Romans says, What shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's what he says over there. But look what he says in, in Galatians 5 and 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The Bible teaches us that we will reap 
what we sow. God responds. God responds to our sinful nature. God responds to us practicing sin. God responds to us doing the wrong thing is forgiveness. He provides a way of forgiveness, of atonement. But God deals with the sin. But you got to deal with the seed. Ooh. If I was getting ready to preach now, I'd kick my leg and go into, oh, but I ain't preaching, I'm teaching. You see, you have to deal with the seeds of your sin. Think about that. Let that set in for a second. Now, David is cursed. David is cursed. But the seeds of your sin are still, still need to be dealt with. And you could say, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. So what do I do? What do I do? You got to deal with them. You got to deal with them. You got to face them. You got to face them. So, and, and, and you know, I, I love giving illustrations. And sometimes, you know, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the, these relationship sins that we get into. You know, where we go out and, and rather than do things the way that God says do them, Go out and and get a uh, get married and then you know keep yourself or actually you can't keep yourself you got to let God keep you I'm sorry I don't care what nobody says uh, uh, no in certain areas there's a reason why they write it's better to marry than to burn because there is times when as I see your flesh just take over and I'm a, I'm I'm a little bit on the other side of uh, middle age right now. And I will tell you from experience, mm-mm, sometimes you just ain't thinking right. Or you're thinking, you know what, I'm just going to do this and confess and, and tell the Lord I'm sorry later, but I'm getting ready to do this now. Ooh, you better stop. You better stop. You better stop. Because even after you confess and God forgives you, you still got to deal with the seeds of sin. And I tell a lot of young men that I counsel, mm-hmm. She on the nine-month installment plan, but you're going to have 18 years to pay. Mm-hmm. And it's going to impact every area of your life. Let me talk about my sin. Okay, I'll talk about my own personal sin. came a time in my life where I just couldn't take it no more. My wife and I wasn't getting along. and she, you know, For whatever reason, and I made the decision, I made the decision to sin. I was the one that demanded the divorce. Not her, it was me. And God forgave me. And not only did he forgive me and give me a second chance, yes, he did, by offering me one of his finest daughters. Oh, glory, yes, he did. And allowing that woman to love me in a way that I've never been loved before. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. He did that for me, but I still have to deal with the seeds of my sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my kids love me, get along with my ex fine, you know. My wife loves me, but I still have to deal with the seeds of my sin. What do you mean? What does, if you, if you, if, if, look, every, every holiday I'm reminded of it. Every birthday I'm reminded of it. 
I put my kids in a compromising position because they have to decide, are we going to daddy's or are we going to mom's? Mm-hmm. I opened the door to the devil, and the devil still tries to play havoc in those areas. I own that, even with the forgiveness. And so that's something I got to deal with. Now, God gives me grace, and God gives me mercy, and God keeps a hedge of protection and peace and all that other stuff, but it's still there. It's still there. And so when we sow the seeds of sin, we reap them, even though God provides atonement. That's what we have to be mindful of. Why your house all tore up? Hmm? Why you got all this confusion? It ain't got nothing to do with God. It's got everything to do with you. Um, but once you once you recognize it and confess it, I guarantee you that he'll give you grace for it. He'll give you the grace to overcome it. Yes, he will, but it's always there. Why? Because I planted it. I planted that thing. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I own it. I own it. Let's get so, so how does he deal with it? Go back. He's going to be merciful to us by confronting us. He's going to put us on trial. And, and after, he, after he, 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 he puts us on trial, then he convicts us. And that conviction is a good thing because that conviction gives us a chance for repentance. And if we confess and repent of our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness provides atonement but he's dealt with the sin now we get a chance to deal with the seed let's keep going I want to, I want to, I'm going to show you something I'm going to show you something there's more there's more because a lot of people think that oh God's mad at me God's mad at me let's keep going then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, I'm on verse 13, by the way. Then Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. When we sin, not only does it impact God, it impacts the witness of God. It impacts the witness of God. I'm going to be brief on this because I got, I, got, I got about 10 more minutes or less in the go. It impacts the witness of God. We obscure the vision of the world's vision of God by our sinful behavior. When we walk around and we cussing folk out, when we walk around and we just live in any kind of way, when we're doing what we want to do and thinking we're getting away with it, we ain't getting away with nothing because somebody saw that. Somebody heard that. And somebody was looking at you and know that you are supposed to represent God, and they're saying, hmm, so that's how that works. So that's how Christians are. And Christians are supposed to be a reflection of God, so that's what God looked like? Oh, no. 
and the baby had to die. After Nathan, verse 15, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife, look, look, notice that they didn't call her about uh, David's wife, even though David was married to her by now. Uriah's wife, he calls her, had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. David's response is telling. David's response here is very, very telling because David goes into the house of the Lord. God has pronounced sentence and he has accepted what God has done. He tried to intercede and that's something that we need to think about. Our prayers of intercession are sometimes hindered because of our sins. Or let, me, let me say it more emphatically. Our prayers of intercession are hindered when we are engrossed in sin. In this instance, God had already pronounced what he would do, and David can't make God change his mind through his prayers. There are times when prayer can change the mind of God. Look at Moses. Moses interceded for the people because he said, he told, uh, God told Moses, I'm going down there to kill him. And Moses said, wait a minute, hold on. Mm -mm, you won't do that because then your name would be defamed. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go back. Remember Abraham and Lot when God was getting ready to, to, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And Lot steps in and, and Abraham steps in and said, Lord, wait a minute, hold it. You're going to kill the righteous and the wicked together? What if there are some righteous men in that city? Abraham was able to intercede. But now David can't intercede because God has made up his mind, and he can't change God's mind because God has released his word on that thing. He says, no. But then watch this. Watch this. Yes, he is dead. And David's response was, I'm going to go in, and I'm going to get on my face and I'm going to worship the Lord. I am going to, to, to remind God that I know who he is. I'm going to remind him of his greatness. I'm going to remind him of his goodness. I'm going to remind him of how he has provided for me. I'm going to bless the Lord in this thing. And so he goes into the temple and he worships. Then he went to his own house. And at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? 
The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to him, and they named him. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. Now this is this gets interesting. Watch this. And they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Hear that? The Lord loved Solomon. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan, the prophet, to name him Jedidiah. They named him Solomon, but Nathan was told, go tell David that that boy's name is Jedidiah. David and Bathsheba said that his name was Solomon. The name Solomon mean, means his restoration or his peace. And what David is signifying through naming this child is that God has restored unto us. David understood that through atonement, through the atoning work of God, in his life, that he had been restored, that David had been restored. But, and he said, you, no, 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 David, I got something deeper to say. I got a message to send you that's even deeper than that because you understand that because I atoned for you that you didn't have to die and that you were restored. But he said, name that boy Jedidiah. What does Jedidiah mean? Jedidiah means beloved of Yahweh. And every time you call that, that boy's name out, I want you to understand that you're beloved of God. Every time he's running up and down the hall, I want you to remember that that boy, that which I gave to you, is based on love. Jedediah, beloved of God. And tonight, even after we've gone through this tragic thing and we see how God has had to deal with sin and we understand that God will, that he'll deal with our sin, but we have to deal with the seeds of our sin, even knowing all of this and, know, and thinking that, oh, he just let me back in and he's restored me. Uh-uh. It's more than just mere restoration. God extends his love to us in all of his actions. He's still saying, look, I love you. I've I got to deal with the mess. we got to deal with this. Sin must be dealt with. But after we deal with it, after you confess, I do more than just restore you. I love you. Now, as I get ready to close down, I want to just do this really, really quickly. Do you realize that from the time David, I'm going to back up a little bit so you can see that God is long-suffering, that God is long-suffering. He's patient with us, even in our sin. Do you realize that from the time that David hatched that plot with uh, 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 to kill Uriah and Nathan's arrival on the scene to confront David 
with his sin, that a full year had passed? We don't think about that. We think that, okay, chapter 11, chapter 12, it just happened instantaneously. David walked around with that sin for a full year. You ever, I, I I was a rascal as a kid. I'll admit it. And you ever get that thing, wait till your mama get home? You know you done messed up, but wait till your daddy get home? You've been caught in your sin. You know you did something. You was playing in the house, and you broke something. You knocked over a lamp, and your brothers and sisters said, ooh, and mama get home. And you know you was going to get your behind tore up. You knew that. And so all day long you walked around being tormented by your own, because you knew you was guilty. And it was just riding on you, just uh, you, you're trying to get your lie together as to how it happened or how you're going to explain yourself away, how you're going to avoid that punishment. David knew that he had done wrong, and he was walking around like that for a full year. And you know we have a record of how he felt. Look at look look at Psalm fifty one because Psalm fifty one was him confessing. Turn over to Psalm fifty one real quick. We got a couple of minutes. Psalm fifty one. Look at what David look at what David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you approve right when you speak and justify when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth. In the inner parts, you teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. The bulls will be offered on your altar. David walks through and confesses in this psalm, and he tells God, he says, I did it, and I need cleansing. I did it, and I need healing. I did it, 
and I need you to do a work in my life. When we confess our sins, we're confessing to God, God, I need you to work in my life. Old folks used to pray, God, search and research my heart. I don't want to do anything wrong before you. I recognize that what I did was against you, and I need your restoration. David received it. We can receive it. God has made atonement. God waits for our confession. He already knows. And we shouldn't delay confessing our sin. How does God react? What does God do when we sin? God looks for an opportunity. He looks for an opportunity to confront us, takes us to court, presents his case and convicts us, and looks, he looks for us to respond and say the same that he has said, to confess, and then he wants to forgive us. And he forgives us through Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice. And when we receive that forgiveness, that forgiveness is forever. Then after that, we got to deal with our sin. Or excuse me, I, I said that wrong. He has dealt with our sin. Now we have to deal with the seeds of our sin. And when we confess, he gives us mercy and grace. And he's constantly reminding us, not just that we've been restored, but that we are the beloved of God. His response to us is a response that takes us beyond restoration to being to knowing that we are loved by him. And his love will never fail. It ain't the love that we get from other folk that you know there's 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 something away. No, that's a love that sticks because he really loves us. Amen. Well, God bless you tonight. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll call it a night, and I'll see you next week. Eternal God, our Father. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. When we think about our lives, the things that we've done, the times that we've let you down, that we've made bad choices and sinned against you. Father, tonight we we confess that we're not worthy of a love like yours. And we ask God that you would forgive us our sins, our inequities, our transgressions against you the ones that we know, the ones that we've forgotten about. We ask that you would forgive us. Father, and even as you forgive us, we ask that you would wash us, that you would touch us within. Because we know, God, that we don't want to walk around like David walked around, filled with guilt and remorse, knowing that he was separated from you 
and that he needed to be restored. Father, some of us tonight need to be restored. But, oh, Master, we know that we can come to you and receive more than restoration, that we can receive your love. And tonight as we bow before you, we ask for your love in our lives. Fix us up, God. Teach us to walk upright before you. Oh, Father, and then for those seeds of sin that that continue to crop up in our lives, give us the grace and the strength and the mercy to overcome. Give us the wisdom to know how to apologize to our loved ones and to our coworkers when we've sinned against them. Give us the strength to go back and make right the wrongs that we've done if we've taken something that wasn't ours or taken a liberty that we should not have taken. If there's anything that we've done to offend somebody, oh God, give us the strength to stand up and confess and be reconciled unto our brothers and our sisters. Oh, help us tonight, God. Help us to be a true reflection of you. Help us to to walk upright in such a way that we are the light in this dark world. Help us to be a part of your witnessing teams that advance your kingdom. Oh, God, we love you. We praise you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, God bless you and God keep you. I pray that you have enjoyed the word on Wednesday tonight. We'll be back next week. and We'll pick up in chapter 12, uh, the end of chapter 12. Um, this is the beginning of the downward spiral of the roller coaster that we talked about. We talked about how the ups and downs of David, and remember we said that he went way, way up and then with Bathsheba, he starts going down. Now the rest of the chapter is the down. It's, it's just a real roller coaster ride that we'll experience. Help us. Uh, help us next week by praying for us as we prepare for next week's lesson. We thank you and we praise God for you. Hope you ha- have a wonderful evening uh, and that you really, really enjoyed this word. And I really enjoyed being with you. God bless you and God keep you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.